bola para a área, para Kelvin, entrou, gol! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Portuguese Football Podcast. My name is Brian Fonseca and I'll be your host for what is going to be our third ever edition. We'll kick off this episode with the Confederations Cup uh, competition that's starting this weekend, uh, this Saturday, but Portugal will not compete in until Sunday. Uh, their first match comes on Father's Day at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time against Mexico off for three days, and then they play Russia on the 21st in Moscow, and then three days after that, they'll play New Zealand on the 24th in St. Petersburg. So let's just start off by listing the squad. Um, go At goalkeeper, you have Rui Patricio, the perennial starter of the national team, uh, backed up by Betu and José Sá. You'll notice that these two backups are changes from the Euro 2016 squad. They're two of the nine changes, or rather, two of the eight changes from that Euro squad that we'll go through after listing the entire squad. Uh, if you move on to the defense, we have uh, at center back, we have Bruno Alves, Pep, who was recovered in time from a rib injury that kept him out for the last two months of Real Madrid season. And then we have Luis Neto, Josef Font. Moving on to the fullbacks, we have Rafael Guerrero, who was a revelation at Euro 2016 and will surely be a star at the Confederations Cup. And we have Eliseo and Cedric, who will likely start at right back. And uh, an inclusion into the squad now is Nelson Smith of Benfica, who had a phenomenal season at right back. Uh, definitely the best right back in the Portuguese league last season. Wholly deserved his spot in this team. And I believe that if Cedric were to come down with an injury and Nelson Smith had to step up in his place at right back, there would not be that much of a drop in quality. I, I genuinely believe that Nelson Smith is the right back of the future for the Sassong. So it's good to see that he is um, given a chance here. Moving on to the midfield, we have Danilo Pereira and William Carvalho as the trincos, as the sixes, the defensive midfielders. And then further up, we have André Gomes, uh, João Moutinho, Adrian Silva, and Bizi. Bizi, of course, the Benfica man who got the nod, uh, 27 years old, getting his nod for his first major competition with Portugal. A bit of a surprise inclusion. And while he was an absolute machine with Benfica this season, really oiled the machine that was Benfica this season, just the perfect perfect player for that midfield since we'll see how he does with the portuguese national team uh, hasn't exactly had much success in his call-ups to the team before but he did score a goal against cyprus in a friendly if fernando Santos believes in him i believe in him uh, i was critical of fernando Santos in the past but 
given the fact that he gave Portugal their first ever international competition win, I think I can give him the benefit of the doubt moving forward, at least for now. Uh, then we go forward to the front lines. We have, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, our captain and best player, uh, best player in Portuguese football history, period. No argument there. Uh, then we have Ricardo Quaresma and Nani, always a presence. And here is where a lot of the changes come from the Euro. Uh, we have Justin Martins getting his first call-up for a major competition. Uh, he only has six caps prior to the competition, but he had another great season with Sporting. And while he likely won't feature, it is a good decision from Santos in the sense of getting him some experience moving forward. He'll be a pretty decent addition to the Slesson in the future. Um, some argue that Bruma perhaps should have gotten that spot. Bruma, of course, the man, the former sporting man himself, who had a controversial exit from the club and struggled a bit in his first couple seasons outside of Portugal, but really, really shined this season in Turkey with Galatasaray, earned a contract with uh, RB Leipzig in, in Germany. Uh, so he is on the up, and many people consider Jelson to be the reincarnation of Bruma. So why not just get Bruma, who is a better Jelson Martins? Surely, Fran Sanchez's reasons. Uh, maybe he doesn't mesh well with the side, with the with the team. I'm not really sure. And then we have an addition of Bernardo Silva, another player who has been snubbed for a while from this national team. Finally, getting recognition and getting in, had a an unbelievable, fantastic season with Monaco, one of the best players in the in Liga, and was one of the main factors in Leonardo Jardim's side winning uh, Liga for the first time in 15 years. So. Good for Bernardo. Uh, he will likely play a good part in this Euro because of the absence of João Mario. João Mario, of course, the midfielder, former Sporting man, and current Inter Milan player who suffered a calf injury in the first week of Portuguese camp. Um, he will be out for the Confederations Cup because of that injury. And so Bernardo will likely be one of the players who will be candidate to replace him in midfield. Bernardo was very versatile on the in the final third of the pitch. He could play on the wing. He could play as a 10, um, which isn't exactly where João Mario has been accustomed to playing in Fernando Santos 4-4-2. He plays pretty much in the middle between a 10 and a winger right on that left channel. He could fit right in there, and he could play as a second striker behind the man who will round out the 23, Andres Silva, uh, the Porto striker who recently uh, signed with a new club. We'll discuss that later on in the pod. Um, he had a great season with Porto, and he has a lot of potential to be the number nine that Portugal hasn't had since Pedro Pauleta. Of course, striker, the area of the pitch that Portugal has had a lot of struggle in finding success and talent in recent years. So good to see he is selected. He In eight appearances, he has seven goals, so that's pretty pretty good track record. Of course, his inclusion means that uh, Euro 2016 hero Ether was not selected, um, a decision I believe we discussed in a previous episode, but I think most people have come to terms with the fact that Andres Silva will be a better bet for Portugal and will allow them to be more successful. Unless he has an, uh, a horrific Confederations Cup, I think most people will agree with that selection. That rounds out the squad, and like I said, they begin on Sunday against Mexico, which will be one of the more intriguing matchups of the tournament. Mexico, a side that recently tied 1-1 with uh, the United States at Azteca in a great game. Very interesting side, very interesting way of playing football. Some very interesting players, um, in particular 
Uh, Chucky Lozano is one that I I personally really really like. I have been lobbying for Sporting to sign him from Mexico for for quite a bit, uh, but it looks like that dream has kind of sailed because he is of interest to both Manchester clubs. Great tricky little winger, inverted winger, cut in, shoot, can cross, beat his defender. I think he'd be perfect for the Portuguese league. Uh, just as Corona was good for Porto. Uh, speaking of Corona, Corona uh, is a fantastic player. Uh, Chicharito's looking to find his form again. Bayer Leverkusen. Um, Layun hasn't had much time in the starting lineup with Porto, but I believe he will be starting for Mexico. Uh, great left back. I think he was. Um, I, th- I thought he should have played a little bit more under Nunu, but understandably he didn't because Alex Delge was having a great season. So Miguel Ayun, of course, left back who said that he believes Portugal is the favorite to win this competition. I don't know if that's true, considering the fact that Germany is also in this competition, but perhaps he's just flattering his uh, first opponent in the competition. Just kind of a prognostic of how this Confederations Cup is going to work for Portugal. In my personal opinion, I do believe that uh, while I don't agree with Ayun that they are the favorites, I do think they have a lot of potential to win this competition. I really don't see them not getting out of the group. Mexico will be a tough game. As I said, Mexico is a good side. Uh, Russia may be a tough uh, tough opponent just because they're the home side and they will have the crowd behind them. And New Zealand, the final match day. If it comes down to the final match day, I don't. The Portugal of old would worry me in that match. Uh, the Portugal of old would not surprise me if they drop points against an opponent such as New Zealand on a match that is a must-win, but... Uh, given that this team has finally broken through the wall and gotten through the hurdle and learned how to win when it mattered, I do think that, especially under Suns, they'll be able to find a way to win that match if it comes down to that. I don't see any way that they don't make it to the semifinals at the very least. And looking at the other group, which contains Chile, another strong candidate for the title of this competition, Chile, Cameroon, favorites Germany, and Australia. Either of those opponents, that if Portugal were to face Germany or Chile, would be an incredibly tough semifinal matchup. And then having to go to the final and versus one of those two or whoever also advances from Group A won't be easy. But I think the semifinal will be the most difficult match of the tournament if Portugal gets there. If they are able to suppress that, I think they have a good chance of winning the final. Uh, quick little shout out, uh, Sporting is the club that has the most players represented in the Confederations Cup based on the squad selected. So congratulations. Moving on to clubs, speaking of which, uh, a lot of action has taken place in the marketplace this week. Um, Befica has continued its brilliant bit of business. Uh, after selling Ederson to Manchester City for 40 million euros, they sold his one of his partners in defense, Victor Lindelof, the center back, to Manchester United for 35 million euros. Great bit of business. They do lose a solid rock in the center of their defense, but given the fact that they've been able to replace Luis Zona's partners over the years, I don't see any way that they don't do that again. Then the law fits very well with Jose Mourinho's team. Works well with the ball, can pass it out. Is a calm defender. Uh, and what they needed someone to play alongside Eric Bailey. And I think he's a strong backbone to play alongside Bailey. Bailey more of a player who plays out the ball and it can kind of come out and sweep. The more of an aggressive center back. I think Lindelof could be a solid rock. He's great in the air. He makes strong tackles. Smart. I think he will be uh, surprised. Many of those who are critiquing Manchester United for getting a player from the Portuguese league. Uh, I saw many pundits. Uh, I believe he was from. Uh, there was one from Sky Sports who was saying that Lindelof has done nothing. Uh, Lindelof, of course, a man who won three Portuguese leagues, who I believe has 12 caps with Sweden, and is one of the better young center backs in Europe. So I believe he will do well 
with uh, Jose Mourinho's side, and I think he it gives a big boost to that team that maybe they'll finish top four next season in the Premier League. Um, but with the league as strong as it is now, as strong as it's been in quite some time, uh, there's no telling with that. But it's still too early, and sides are still being bought, sold, and managed, so a little too early to tell. Surprisingly enough, that isn't their best bit of business this week. Befica sold Marsal, a left-back that they got on a free transfer from Nacional two years ago. They, he has not played a single minute for the for Befica's team. He has not played a single minute for Befica, and they sold him to Lyon in France for 4.5 million euros. That is an unbelievable bit of business. Uh, Marsal, according to Thiago Stevon, an analyst who I respect very much from who scored, a left-back he believes to be a very strong, solid left-back, had some great stints in Guingamp in France and Gaziantepspor. I believe, I hope I said that right. Let me try it one more time. Gaziantepspor in Turkey. He Stevon believes that Befica lost out on a solid left-back, but they got some great bit of business there off selling him without him playing a single minute. Uh, as for what they brought in this week, uh, the rumored transfer that I wasn't very too sure about, but I mean, it happened. Uh, midfielder Kravinovic from Riwav, who had a, he had a fan. Kravinovic, he had a great season with Riwav, uh, one of the standout players, in, not only in, at Riwav, but in the league. Great number 10. Uh, he signed for Mefica. Uh, there's some questions as to where he fits into the side and whether he will be a starter. But if not for this season, I think he will be a solid starter for that team by next season. Um, I don't think they loan him out. He could be a solid backup option for uh, cup matches or rotation in the league. Maybe even a couple Champions League games if that fits Rui Vitoria's scheme. If he wants to go for that in games, he wants to be a little bit more aggressive. But it's a great signing uh, at three and a half million. So not breaking the bank. They most of the money they made off Marcel was sold to was used to get Kravinovic, which is very smart, and they still made a million euros when putting that in account. As for Porto, as I teased before, Andres Silva, the striker from Porto, who is who was called up by Santos for the... He was sold to AC Milan for 38 million euros to AC Milan. Personally, I'm of the opinion that it's a bit early for him to leave Portugal. Uh, he had a good year, but he still has a lot to develop. Uh, while he's great at creating chances, he's not very good at finishing them quite yet, which can be a, that that issue could be exasperated in a league like Serie A, where teams are great defensively, a league known for its great defensive teams. But I have faith that he'll he'll do well. Uh, he's great in the air. He's great at making runs in opening space. He's good at linking up play. AC Milan looks to be investing a lot of money early on in the transfer window. So if they can put one or two more pieces around him, um, I don't think they win the league, but I think they're able to move up from the six to eight place range that they've been in for the past couple of seasons and finally return to the top of the Italian league where they frankly belong. Porto didn't do much else this week in terms of business. Yeah, uh, Porto has not done much more business in the first week of uh, Sergio Conceição. Uh, very Pretty quiet after that. So uh, moving on to Sporting. Uh, this podcast was a bit late this week, but even good because Sporting finally completed the signing of Rodrigo Bataglia, the, the worst-kept secret in Portugal. He was finally signed in exchange for Jefferson and Ricardo Esgaio. He was signed for five seasons. Okay, so the, the Rodrigo Bataglia deal to Sporting. Braga gets Ricardo Esgaio for five seasons, but Sporting keeps 20% of his 
uh, economic rights. So if Braga were to sell him, Sporting would get 20% of that transfer fee. Whereas Jefferson arrives at Braga for a one-year loan, so he can return to Sporting. There's no information on how much money Bataglia cost, but losing Jefferson and Ricardo Gallo is kind of addition by subtraction. You take the their salaries away from the club and their dead weight on the on the on the squad. Really, uh, Ricardo Gallo is dead weight, and Jefferson is a shadow of himself, at least over the last season or so. So, Sporting removes that dead weight, and they can make some moves in the transfer window. They do need another left back now, um, and with the rumor the rumor that Scalotto is leaving, they might need another right back as well. But more importantly, right now they need a left back um, as well as a midfielder. And a second striker, and another winger, but it's still early in the transfer window, and there's plenty of time to make those moves. It looks like they might sign a center back from Marseille, Doria, but apparently the negotiation is five and a half million, which is pretty expensive for a center back, given the fact that Jorge's selections for center backs haven't exactly come out on top every time. I, I'm a bit skeptical with that one. Finally. Another bit of news in the Portuguese league, Lito Vidigal is back, but not with Aroca. Lito Vidigal, for those who don't remember, was the manager who took Aroca to the Europa League for the first time and then had them set to return to the Europa League and left in February, left the club in February and about mid-table. And after they signed Manuel Machado, they ended up relegated after picking up five points in their final 13 matches, I want to say, and now they're relegated, but he returns to the Portuguese league to represent Rio Ave, the club that Luis Castro left to go manage his hometown club of Chaves. I really like the signing from Rio Ave's perspective. I think Lito is one of the better um, mid-table managers in Portugal. I think he'll do really well with that squad, given the money that they earned in their transfers this season, and I think if they spend their money right and are able to replace, replace Kreninovic, in midfield and maybe get some decent loan deals from the Grunge, that team could be dangerous. That team could be a top four, top five team. So I'm excited to see where that club goes with Lito especially. Uh, hopefully his trip to train in Israel humbled him a bit, uh, known to be a bit arrogant in his press conferences and kind of the way he stalks the sidelines. Hopefully that humbled him a bit. But if not, we can at least guarantee that he'll be a solid manager on the touchline and i'll include i'd like to introduce a new segment to this podcast given that i've talked about this man every single time this is episode three and his name has come up every single time i'd like to introduce the minge minute uh, where i spend a minute discussing the negotiations of george minge throughout the transfer window this week's will likely be less than a minute future segments might be a minute two minutes three minutes but i think it's important to give him his own segment because the man Practically runs the transfer window in world football, him and Rioli. Uh, so I figured I'd give him a nice little spot on my podcast. So this week's Men's Minute is sponsored by Rodrik Miranda, the center back formerly of Benfica, who never really broke through on the first team and played really well at Rio Ave, signed on to Wolverhampton Wolves in the second division of England in the championship to play for Nuno Espirito Santo. Rodrik Miranda is not a direct client of George Mins, but he is a Portuguese player, and he is playing under, like I said, Nuno Espirito Santo, George Mins' first ever client. It's hard to think that Mins, who also has a large influence on Wolves, didn't have a big influence on the signing. That's a Mins minute. The first one wasn't exactly too exciting, but I promise you the future ones will be. Before I leave, we can discuss briefly 
the current saga with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he is being accused by the Spanish courts of evading his taxes, uh, much the way that Messi was charged. Um, he's being accused, and I believe it was 14.5 million euros, 13.5 million euros, something like that. An absurd amount of money. It was 14.7 million euros. He hasn't spoken directly on the subject. He has posted an Instagram post, I believe it was a day or two after he was accused, in which he captioned, Sometimes the best response is to stay quiet. And there have been several reports, uh, including one by the BBC sports editor, that Ronaldo was looking to leave Spain because of this. Not leave Real Madrid, leave Spain. So it's interesting to see where he'll go from here. I'm not sure if I believe all these rumors. I would not be shocked if this is these accusations are true and Ronaldo did have offshore accounts to evade taxes. I can't say I blame him. Do I think you should? No. But if you're rich and you someone tells you they can do this for you, I can't say I'd blame him for doing it. And I think most people who say they wouldn't do it are hypocritical because when you, you're that rich and you're that powerful and everyone loves you and you get away with a lot of things, it's easy to think that this is just one more thing you can get away with, which is unfortunate, but it's the way of the world. I'm not excusing him for it. Again, I don't think he should have done it. I'm just trying to rationalize why he would have done it. I'm also not saying he did do it. The facts will come out soon enough, but I thought I'd bring that up. I won't bring up the current email scandal in Portugal in which Porto was accusing Befica of emailing back and forth with uh, the referees. Um, it was the director of Befica TV at the time, Pedro Guerra, and, and some referees in the union. I haven't been keeping up with the scandal because frankly, these things happen all the time. And whether it's true or not, the fact of the matter is that Befica is too big of a club to suffer sanctions from this. It's the same thing with Porto and Pinto Dorado. Pinto de Costa was accused of of um, working with the referee union to get favorable selections of referees um, during Porto's four-year title run, but even before that. And look, if we look back, nothing happened. They weren't punished. No, The voicemails were out. There were voicemails out that proved it and nothing happened. So I don't expect this to be much different. If it ends up, if something ends up happening and Bifika's punished, I'll discuss it. I'll do my research and I'll discuss it. But frankly, I don't think it's worth any of our time to really spend time talking about this. It's a non-issue as far as I'm concerned. Only because nothing will come of it. I do think it's an issue. And I do think Porsche's football, like many leagues, is corrupt. And there are teams that are above the law. Uh, I'm not here saying that uh, Sporting is different than Porto and Befica. I do think that um, they do receive favorable, you know, looks because they're a grand. The grand's big teams tend to get favored a bit, whether that is intentional, whether that is corroborated between the club and the referee union. I don't know. I'm not here pointing fingers. I don't think it's fair for me to say. I don't think that Portuguese football is without favoritism. But Moving on from that, from those off-field issues, I said I wouldn't talk about on the first episode of this pod that I am end up talking about right now. That will be the end of this episode of the Portuguese Football Podcast. With the start of the Confederations Cup, I may do some smaller episodes following matches. I likely won't do one this Sunday after the Portugal match, considering that it is Father's Day. Uh, happy Father's Day out there to all the fathers who listen to this and anyone who listens to this who's going to hang out with their dad on Father's Day. Make sure you get them something nice. So I'll be spending time with my dad, so I likely won't have time to record an episode, but I will most likely do so after Wednesday's match, and then in the future we can see where it goes, depending on if Portugal goes to the semifinals or not. But for now, that's all I have for you. Thank you for listening, and until next time, Shuizu.
Pode amar bem 